0: This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, we have seen here in the U.S. a fairly sharp rise in the last several months on the price of gasoline. It's obviously a commodity that carries lots of importance, not only here in the U.S., but around the globe. And it is also part of the reason why we've been seeing unrest in the country of Kazakhstan. In that country, which is located between Russia and China, the country has been uh, seeing a doubling of the price of gas after the government lifted subsidies. People have taken to the streets to protest. Russia has sent in troops to try and stabilize the country. So what are we seeing there? But also, we should note that there is the potential of global impact from this. Philip Nichols is Professor of Social Responsibility in Business, as well as Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at the Wharton School phil pleasure to have you back with us thanks for a few moments
1: oh it's good to talk to you dan
0: good to have you with us um so put this in a global perspective for us obviously we know uh we we heard a little bit about what's going on there but from a global perspective the impact is potentially what
1: um well uh there's the geopolitical impact which is the questions of russian influence in central asia and beyond and there's the economic impact uh, you mentioned the price of oil, but Kazakhstan is also the largest producer of uranium in the world and the second largest um, source of bit mining.
0: And so it comes at a time when uh, relations between the U.S. And, and Russia are not great right now. And again, this would be an, em- an element, I would think, where it's perceived that Russia is uh, is trying to uh, influ- influence its uh it's important in that country
1: yeah th- there's an interesting contestation between russia china and the united states and kazakhstan has always not always since its inception since its creation in 89 has has maintained this really amazing balance between the three um the insertion of csto troops which you mentioned into Kazakhstan, you know, obviously raises questions in both Beijing and in Washington about whether that balance will continue to be maintained.
0: So on, on the perspective of gasoline, what is it that, uh, that has occurred over the recent time uh, that, ha- and I mentioned about the, the doubling of the price, uh, this mm-hmm. is something that obviously in, in terms of an economic perspective uh, is a significant concern for the people that live in that country.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so the, it wasn't actually like gasoline the way we think of gasoline. It's liquefied petroleum gas. And a uh, number of people in Almaty, which is the largest city, and then in western Kazakhstan, which is the largest oil-producing region, um, kind of converted their vehicle, to use this fuel because they thought, well, it'll always be cheap because the government's subsidizing it. Right. The subsidies the government was providing actually caused like a lot less investment into the production of LPG. And so the government said, hey, you know, markets seem to work. Let's put this on you know quasi market because there's not real markets in Kazakhstan. It's kind of a controlled economy. Let's, let's try this market thing out, which, you know, gives more power to the people to choose. And that backfired completely. So it's this kind of reform-ish, and Takayev, the new president, has promised a lot of reforms. He, he, he reformed, and people got very upset. The, the protests were triggered by the, the, the doubling of the price of LPG. But they, more, they quickly morphed into protests about economic conditions in general, about governance, about participation, about accountability, about corruption was huge in the protests and things like that. So triggering event, but not really what the protests were about.
0: Right. And it sounds like the uh, the leadership there in, uh, in Kazakhstan has really put uh, – uh, himself uh, right at the forefront of this to the uh, point where he has been getting rid of a lot of the other leaders within the country, correct?
1: Yeah, uh, we're learning a lot more about that. So Takayev uh, is the hand-chosen successor from um, Nursultan Nazarbayev, the previous uh, ruler president of Kazakhstan. Nazarbayev left himself and a lot of his allies in positions of power. And when the protest started, it, it seems like, and we don't know 100 percent, but it seems pretty likely that a lot of Nazarbayev supporters took advantage of this and seized critical um, critical parts of the operation of Kazakhstan as a country, like the airport. And um, a lot of what the CSTO troops did was actually like, root out, kick out uh, uh, Nazarbayev's supporters and allies from these installations. At the same time, uh, Takayev was dismissing Nazarbayev's appointments from, and, and relatives, nephews, sons, from critical positions in government. So a lot of what we're seeing seems to be a consolidation of Takayev's power, and a rooting out or you know, diminishment, severe diminishment of Nazarbayev's power. So there's this kind of really complicated regime change underneath and intertwined with the public protests against corruption and economic conditions in general, which is fascinating.
0: So, uh, so LPG is that perceived to be kind of an emerging uh, potential option uh, for uh, for fuel moving forward uh, in the in the next years and decades?
1: Um, I wouldn't think so. It's kind of a like a byproduct of one of Kazakhstan's main uh, exports, oil, and um, it. it the reason that so many people converted to their, their cars, or even in some cases, um, heat for their home, to LPG was just because it was so cheap. Um, I don't think the government can maintain these kinds of subsidies. And we, we saw what happened when we returned to market price. So the, the, the immediate public reaction was just, man, we thought you were going to keep subsidizing this forever, and you pulled the rug out from under us with no announcement. No yeah. preparation whatsoever, and we're mad. And when people in Kazakhstan get mad, they protest. It's a long history of, of public protest over um, economic conditions or economic policies.
0: So the relationship between the U.S. and Kazakhstan right now is is what?
1: It's great, uh, but, but the, there, are, there, there are questions right now. Kazakhstan has always maintained a healthy, open political and business relationship with the United States. Kazakhstan has the 50th or so largest economy in the world. And there's a lot of trade between North America and Kazakhstan. Um, A lot of the oil that comes out of Kazakhstan is through um, North American or Western European firms. They import a lot of Oil production equipment, and politically, great relationships. And that hasn't really changed, although the United States has said, you know, make sure you respect people's rights, make sure you respect the Constitution of Kazakhstan. And it, it, what, what's quite, what, what everyone's questioning now is is that relationship going to be damaged if Russia is, in fact, exerting more influence in the Kazakhstan? And that's, we don't know. That's just an unknown at this moment. It's something to keep an eye on over the next month.
0: And seemingly this is something that is once again a growing concern, not only there, but in other parts of Europe as well, correct?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, other parts of Europe, uh, Europe um, benefits tremendously from um, uh, the energy production in Kazakhstan. And as, you know, European countries are, debating whether or not your nuclear facilities fit into their growing reliance on green energy. If they do, Kazakhstan produces, you know, about half the world's uranium and that too is a big question. And then the question of whether Kazakhstan will continue to be this stable, relatively open platform for doing business throughout Central Asia. That would be a terrible thing to lose for European countries, particularly Italy, Germany, uh, who do a lot of business in Central Asia. And we're joined as by Philip Nichols platform for doing that.
0: Sorry about that. And we're joined by Philip Nichols, who is a professor at the Wharton School. And that element of uranium, how much are we talking about the mining of that as a as a business element that uh, Kazakhstan benefits from? On an annual basis, I would think it it is a a significant uh, return for them.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's a it's interesting. We we tend to focus on the oil, and the oil is by far the most you know glamorous and the most talked about uh, export from Kazakhstan. But the uranium is actually they are kind of the, the, the player in uh, uranium uranium production. A lot of uh, countries, businesses, etc., rely on uranium from Kazakhstan.
0: What ends up being the potential impact of this, say, potentially for the U.S., uh, depending on how this all plays out in the weeks and months ahead?
1: Well, from a business perspective, I see three possibilities. One is that... Russia is indeed going to exert more political and economic influence in Kazakhstan. And if that happens, it's likely that business relationships between the U.S. and North American firms and Western European firms in Kazakhstan will um, diminish, not vanish, but diminish. I, I don't think that's the most likely possibility. I think... The other two possibilities, the first of which is that Takayev is consolidating power but will continue to be this kind of soft, um, relaxed, calm, authoritarian leader. And if that's the case, then business will just continue as usual. Mm -hmm. Uh, The third possibility is that Takayev has consolidated power and is actually going to start instituting Continue but accelerate the institution of the reforms that he promised when he took control, when he took power. And if that happens, in the short run, there'll be, you know, it'll be very tumultuous. These kinds of transitions always are. In the long run, that opens this large market up to far more possibilities than just the extraction of oil, uranium, metals, and Bitcoin mining. It, it, it portends a lot more opportunities for a lot more kinds of business firms in Western Europe and in North America and in the United States. Um, I think the latter two are more likely than the first. Uh, and I think either one works out. But I'm kind of hopeful for the third possibility, I think, in the long run, that um, would be best for both Kazakhstan, which is a place that I care about and should be respected, and Mm -hmm. for the business community overall around the world. You
0: you go to Kazakhstan uh, on a relatively frequent basis, so give the listeners kind of a lay of the land of what that country is like and, and, and what the people that live there are like.
1: I, Kazakhstan is so beautiful and so amazing. I, I you know, I, I this is probably not the right words to use on a business radio, but I love I love that place. It's, it's really wonderful. Um, physically gorgeous. There's 20 million people in a country the size of Western Europe. Lots of open space. The the third the top third of the country is mostly ethnic Russian. The bottom third is mostly ethnic Kazakh. The middle is kind of, middle third is kind of empty. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the, the people in the North tend to be really intellectual. Um, uh, a lot of, of, of research institutes and a lot of kind of sciencey places were put there during the Soviet times because it's so easy to protect, so isolated. The bottom third, the nomadic, you know, the remnants of the nomadic culture, the hospitality, mm-hmm. the the toughness, the resilience of these people who've been through amazing changes since, you know, 1990. Um uh, the 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 really beautiful combination of ancient culture thousands and thousands of years and modern it's it's a it's a wonderful place and it's it's important not to think of these people as kind of unidimensional they're stooges of a dictator or they're you know nomads who were tamed by the russians Mm -hmm. um they're complicated and complex and their lives are rich and wonderful and full They just happen to live in a gorgeous part of the world that is um, rich in resources but poor in infrastructure and connections to uh, the kind of main parts of the world now.
0: And and as you uh, – you had been part of an article for uh, Knowledge at Wharton uh, about this, Mm -hmm. uh, that this is a country that is relatively new – uh, what, yeah. about 30, 35 years uh, of age? Yeah. But it yeah. is a country where it has dealt with quite a bit of unrest over, over those 30, 35 years.
1: Yes. Uh, and that's, an, that's another thing that's kind of lost in the coverage of these protests. Uh, protests have been that Kazakhstan was the idea of Kazakhstan as a country, the way we think about countries. Uh, was given a lot of fuel by protests in uh, during the Soviet times, in the very late 80s. Uh, since Kazakhstan was born, since the Soviet Union dissolved and Kazakhstan was given recognition as a country the way we think about countries, um, there's been a regular series of protests, usually about economic issues, and in a in a country where You know, they're not nomads anymore, but they still retain a lot of kind of uh, culture and attitudes of nomads. Nomads, they don't like politics. They just leave. Here you've got people who can't really vote in a legislature and really vote in an administration, but they they make their concerns known by protesting. And there's been a long series of protests, and often – they, they result in the government changing economic policy. Uh, it, it's unusual for these protests to morph into the politics. Not unheard of in 2018, 2019, they morphed into politics, which resulted in Nazarbayev leaving office. Mm-hmm. But it's unusual, and that's one of the differences that we we're seeing in the protests. You know, last week and the week before that um, in Almaty and in Western Kazakhstan
0: but it's not what is that. the what is the potential path then you see for for this dispute and is there really anything that the uh, the people that live in that country can do to to maybe sway or change the path of, of these of these price increases that uh, that have been enacted on them
1: well that that's a great question um you know, in, in a sense, if, if we're hoping that uh, Takayev does institute the kind of economic and political reforms that he promised, then no longer subsidizing LPG and, and putting its pricing in you know a marketish kind of setting is one of those reforms. I think the lesson that the government learned was you can't just... They can't just do that without preparing the people for a change. Right. And so I, I predict if um, Takayev does continue to institute reforms, which there, there's reason to believe that he will, perhaps the lesson that they've learned from this set of protests is to work more closely with the people in preparing them and getting feedback, in understanding the ramifications of these products, uh, these changes, rather than just saying, "Change now, live with it." Right. Um. So, hopefully, it will make the process more inclusive and more productive, rather than just having to kind of circle the wagons and say, "We're done. It's my right. way or the highway from now on."
0: Right. And and I think that's the concern that. Uh, you know, especially if there's any influence from Russia, that that might right. be the path that, that he might want to take.
1: Right. Right. And, and that's that's why it's really important to keep an eye on what's going on there over the next few months.
0: Where does Kazakhstan fall because of its location? Does it does it find itself in a, in a unique spot where uh, the pressure from both Russia and China May end up ramping up. I mean, certainly with Russia, there's a concern of, uh, you know, of some of the territories that they have wanted to reclaim uh, in in the last couple of decades. Does Kazakhstan potentially fall into that realm here in the next few years?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. Um, uh, the 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 when the Soviet Union dissolved, the the lines that constituted the republics kind of hardened and everyone, and and the world said okay that's the border of Ukraine that's the border of Moldova that's the border of Kazakhstan but if if you look at the ethnicities of some of these places those lines don't necessarily make sense and 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 th- that's Russia's position that we need to protect our diaspora now whether that you know whether that's a pretense or not I don't want to get into but that's right. the publicly stated position if you look at a, a map of kazakhstan the very northern part roughly is third but actually smaller than that but very particularly the very very northern northeast part very heavily predominantly ethnic russian right and so the same kinds of concerns that russia Um, proclaimed about, say, Georgia, for example, uh, could uh, manifest themselves in that part of Kazakhstan. Now, they haven't, because Nazarbayev did such a masterful job of balancing the interests of ethnic Russians and ethnic Kazakhs and ethnic Central Asians in general, and at the same time did a, a very good job of balancing the interests and the relationship with... Russia and Western Europe and North America. But Takayev's a different person, and who knows? So that potential is, is there. It hasn't manifested itself yet, but it's it's there. And, and there's always something that um, the people of Kazakhstan were grateful. And one of the reasons they liked Nazarbayev so much, when they did like him, was that he balanced all those interests and kept Um, Russia from expressing any concern about the ethnic Russians in the Northwest.
0: All right. Phil, great to have you with us. Thank you again for your insight. All the best.
1: Dan, always great to talk to
0: you. All right. Phil Nichols, who is a professor of legal studies and business ethics at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.